The hard part of selling your video game? Well, that's simply letting the community and players know it exists. That's particularly true if you're about to launch a new game and don't have an established brand yet. What's the solution? Well, it's creating your own dedicated online presence that lets you connect directly with players, gather signups for your email campaigns, and communicate things like updates about your game's development process or new features. You can build an online storefront, grow your community, run pre-orders and subscription programs, and generally bring in more long-term revenue by selling game keys, virtual goods, or bundles. Especially for indie developers, pre-orders are underutilized lifeline, but any size studio can benefit from them. That time block before the game is fully released, it's prime opportunity for building awareness and getting early stage pre-launch revenue, which can be critical for sustaining your project throughout the development cycle and helps you forecast your game's first year sales. Exola can help you accomplish this with Exola Game Sales. Want to know more about how to get started generating more revenue for your game? Visit exola.pro slash game sales or go to the link in the podcast description below. Recur is a world-class NFT platform working with game creators looking to build with NFTs. Don't go through the time, hassle, cost, and risk of building your own tech. Recur provides an institutional-grade secure platform for creators and an easy-to-use experience for users. Recur's one-of-a-kind metagaming service allows game creators to make compelling collecting games with NFTs that drive game economies. If you are a mid- to large-sized developer or publisher looking to enter the world of Web3, contact Recur at RecurForever.com to become a platform partner. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Welcome, everybody. We are on Twig 192, and we got Laura, we got the smart Eric, and we got the dumb Eric uh, here for your pleasure. Um, unfortunately, Mishka is too busy for us, and Ethan is just tail between the legs, scared of coming on. No, I'm kidding. He has lots of summer stuff with the kids. Um, Shameful. Shameful. <laughs> And uh, we have like Eric Seifert out there in like at a bar drinking mojitos at like nine o'clock in the morning or eight o'clock in the morning, wherever the hell he is. So, good dude, it is six. It is six p.m. It's six oh, p.m. Okay. First of all, oh, I, I know where you were, but you no, are drinking I'm a mojito, in, right? No, it's a vodka soda. Uh, okay. I I am in Tartu, Estonia. I'm I'm in Tartu, Estonia. I'm on vacation with my family in my wife's hometown, and wow. I got locked out of I got locked out of the Airbnb. And uh, I was I was 
uh, intending to record this from the Airbnb, but I got locked out and my wife is across town with the key. And so I found a quiet spot to record. So apologies for the background noise. Eric, you are a dedicated man. Laura, how are you doing? Yeah, all good over here. I'm back in London. So it's I'm, I'm two hours behind Eric. So thankfully it's only four o'clock and there's there's no mojitos or drinks to be ha- or vodka to be had. Yeah, she's in her kitchen. How was it? How was how was the heat apocalypse? How was the how was the heat wave? So I, I, I'm, it was very hot, and London does not adapt to heat well. Um, I, the just as an example, the tube certain tube lines weren't running because it was too hot. Um, I have to say, I feel like I, I'm, people are going to come after me for this, but I I'm in an apartment with air conditioning, so just turned on my AC and worked from home. No way. As any other no day. No way. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. How, Look at you. how do you have AC? It's like a newer, newer building. I'm in a new build. Uh, it was one of my requirements. The The real estate agents always give me a hard time. Like, you don't need air conditioning. It's London. And I'm like, home fry. It's every year there's a heat wave. Every year it gets hotter, and every year that heat wave gets longer. I am 100% going to need air conditioning. Oh my well, God, to be fair, to, to be fair, today it was like 75 in London, right? It was, it was chilly. This was, well, not chilly. It was manageable. This was manageable today. So, All my, right. so my, well, just, a, just a, an anecdote. So I had a, we, we had a, our, our apartment when we lived in London was in Bloomsbury and it was like 200 years old. And the woman who wrote the book, Pippi Longstocking had written it in our building. Um, and anyway, it, so it was great. It was grade two listed, right? Which means it was like, has, has stick, uh, historical significance. It's an old building. You can't make any modifications to it. And our windows didn't open. Uh, they had been like painted so many times that they just didn't open. And so we couldn't, we couldn't use like some kind of tool to open them because that would have been like a modification. And so in the summer we would just bake and so we couldn't even open the windows. It was brutal. It would get to be like 90 degrees inside. Uh, and they're like, nope, because if you crack the paint on the window, That'd be a modification, and Come on. then you know we, that's what they said. That's what they said. That's crazy. They're pretty strict. And that's actually, to be fair, this is one point for non-remote working is that usually offices are air conditioned here, so that is one benefit. Like during heat waves, if you are back to work, uh, you can go, you know, take refuge in your office. It's usually it's cool. All right, plowing ahead. Actually, related to, to related to weather, I'm going to Vegas tonight for the last tournament of the season for basketball, and it's going to be 115 fucking degrees, and so I, we're going to stay in the casinos. What do you think about that? Um, we had to actually grab we had to grab two ringers from uh, from the super team, uh, so we're really stacked. Uh, so hopefully we'll do well and, and crush the competition. What's cool about though is that they have teams from Canada and all over the U.S. that are coming to this tournament. So I'm going to beat up on some of the Canadians um, uh, this this weekend, hopefully, or my son is anyway. Uh, the second update I have is God of War is actually coming out. I, I, I still did not believe, even though they kept saying it was coming, that it is coming November 9th. Um, I think it's a great addition to the lineup in the back half. And if my Sony contacts are to be believed, everyone is going to be able to buy a PS5 this holiday. I will believe it when I see it. Um... And then the final update is ESO, Elder Scrolls Online. Now, as I've said many times in this podcast, I am a complete MMO junkie. Once I get involved with an MMO, I just never stop. I played this game when it first came out 14 freaking years ago, and I was hooked from the go. But after like a few months, I got to level cap, finished all the shit, and, and I just bailed out. 
But holy crap, I came back to this game and oh my lord, the depth of this game is unbelievable. Like gear progression, uh, design is really amazing. The crafting is like a core component of, of the game and also trading is actually a big part of the game, which is crazy because that's exactly what needs to happen with some of these blockchain games. And so this might be a great example of how to integrate trading within the guild system, the social system, as well as the uh, overall system for the game. Um, but I'm hooked, dude. My productivity has come to an all-time halt, which is happens from time to time. Um, but I really think they need like an MMO, an anonymous type hotline for people like me who get so hooked on this shit. But it is really, really well designed. Um, so, I, and if anybody's out there playing this game, tell them, give me a shout. Um, all right. So, uh, big update: Unity Iron Source. So. You know, I got a little bit of flack for my little assessment on the Iron Source Unity deal. Like, I think there's been a little bit of feedback. Um, <laughs> I'll admit I was a bit harsh. I'll admit that. But I still am sticking my, my assessment on this deal. I mean, I, I don't really... The fact that I was harsh doesn't mean that I'm not right. So I'm, I'm going to keep going. But I want to have two, like, two clarifications, uh, corrections uh, on what I said last week. Because it was literally announced like 45 minutes before the podcast. So... Um, and it actually kind of makes the deal even a little bit worse. <laughs> so, but anyway, Iron Source didn't reduce guidance. I said that the Iron Source reduced guidance. It was actually Unity that reduced guidance. So they basically went into this call and basically they, they torpedoed guidance last quarter. And that sent the stock reeling, right? Because of this glitch in their system. But they actually further reduced guidance by 50 million this, in, on this call about this, Just this deal. Just full, full year, full year. Q2, they revised that. Yeah, right. But that, but that, that's irrelevant, right? Because the fact is that they, even with all the problems that they had beginning, they actually still are having problems in order to, they're still not fixing the problems and they're running into more headwinds going forward, right? Well, okay. Just, but just being specific, there, there are macro factors here. Like in every ad platform is challenged right now. TikTok just announced layoffs yesterday. Google announced okay. last week hiring freeze. Fine. Fine. I mean, that's what I said last. Okay. Anyway, the second thing is they raised a billion dollars from Silver Lake and Sequoia, which are two of their largest shareholders, right? And and this is not for the transaction. This is actually for working capital, right? And so um, that's actually not a good thing because that further dilutes the uh, shareholders of Unity um, when those they're convertible. So when they convert to equity, um, so that's not a good thing for the shareholders as well, right? So. And, and one thing I want to make crystal clear here, and maybe I wasn't that clear before, and, and this is not because Iron Source is, is a sponsor, by the way, but but everyone I've talked to in this business has said that Iron Source has some of the best engineers in the world doing this stuff. So that team of both business people and engineers are amazing, right? And I'm not I'm not bagging on them at all when I talk about this stuff. I'm just talking about the deal itself. And so that is a great pickup for Unity, just in general, like to get that from a talent perspective. But as I said last week, the challenge is to keep those players, people. That, that, that make Iron Source so great from that perspective. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I did ruffle some feathers on this and I apologize, I guess, but, but in my defense, you know, I'm talking to many, many investors about this, right? And I'm talking to many other people in the industry about this who feel the same way. You know, JR is out there pitching this deal as you do with this and going out to the shareholders and basically saying, this is the biggest deal in the space. It's a game changer. And investors are just really not buying it, you know? and and all these guys could be wrong. I could be wrong, right? But we'll see. We will see. Um, my track record is actually relatively good for the M&A stuff. I mean, I, I, 
you know, particularly the acquisition of Glue has been a disaster for EA, as I've said many times. Also, this thing about Zynga looks like it's not going to be a good deal, but we'll see about that as well. And my assessment of Stillfront and Embracer are also, given where they are and, and their lack of organic growth, I think that has been pretty accurate. And then on the positive side, you know, we were talking about Zynga's and all these acquisitions that they were doing to help build their business was really good at the time until it wasn't, right? So I'll stand by my assessment on the deal. I apologize if I offend, but uh, this is kind of what I do. So like, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'd love to hear why this deal is not a bad deal or why they, why you think, and I think Eric has some thoughts there um, who, from a technical perspective, but uh, but I, I would like to know why they, this deal looks like a good deal for people. Yeah, I, I, so let me, I mean, I don't want to, prognosticate about good deal, bad deal. I mean, that's not what I do. I can talk about why I think this makes sense from a strategic perspective, right? And I think, you know, Unity's up today, everything's up, everything's up today, right? I mean, the yeah. stock market's been a roller coaster recently. Um, Unity's up 13% as we speak, right? Uh, what I'll say is this, if the market, the market for these companies has consolidated dramatically in the last couple of years, right? And I wrote a piece about this today. It, I just published it like two hours ago. It's called Why Mediation is the Primary Front in the Mobile Advertising Wars Post-ADT. And I quoted an article that I wrote in two, 2018 called In-App Header Bidding and the Road to Programmatic. And in that post, I talked about going into in-app bidding is going to consolidate this space. There's going to be far fewer players on the demand side um, it's, it just has to happen. And that's, that's what in-app bidding is going to create. And that's what's happened. And there's like four players, right? Outside of Google, Facebook, this SAN, so like the big uh, owned and operated networks. And that's exactly what's happened, right? And you've got AppLovin that bought Mopub that tried to consolidate supply. And, you've, and the other players in this space have to, uh, ha have to compete with that. And the only way to do it is consolidate. And so it, putting aside general volatility, all that stuff, ATT obviously was a big factor in this as well. But if, you, if, you, if you're a Unity, you're an, you're an iron source, you have to compete with Apple Oven, and they just cornered the market on supply, which they did with the Mopub acquisition. You have, you, you, the only way to have a chance to compete with them, and I think they do now in combination, is, is to join forces. Right, Unity was late to the game with mediation, way late. They launched their mediation product in October of last year, right? IronSource is a scaled mediation product. Um, it makes sense for them to join forces. It's very comp complimentary. So I think it, the, the deal makes sense like from the perspective of either of those two players. Now the question is, when you fragment, or, so when you, when you consolidate even further and you solve that fragmentation problem or you, 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 you address the fragmentation, what happens to prices, right? And then what happens to the margins? And that's, I think, the next shooter drop, right? Um, and we'll see what happens there. But but ultimately, I think, like, in the case of Unity, in the case of Source, this was, like, the only course of action because I don't think Unity would have been able to catch up with mediation. <laughs> right. I mean, again, I think that's two sides of the same coin, right? They're in a situation in which was the only option, right? Because they can't compete with the bigger players and, you know, the headwinds that we're going to see, whether... Global recession, IDFA, fingerprinting, whatever. Like, 
this is this is what it is, right? And and yeah, and and so I I think what you're saying and what I'm saying are not that far apart, right? I think, but it's the question of the execution. And so what will happen is we will see if they can execute against the idea that they're going to have three hundred million dollars worth of cost savings and synergies up the wazoo, and whether they can grow profitably going forward is going to be the ultimate, like, you know, benchmark to look at. And 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 I'm what I'm t- saying is that investors don't are not believing it, right? Yeah, you're right. The stock is up. I mean, it will go up, right? With with the market re- rebounding and stuff. But the but my job is to figure out whether or not they can actually do this and 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 continue to grow profitably going forward. And I just think it's going to be a huge challenge for them to compete with all the headwinds that are in front of them, and and also keeping the talent that makes Iron Source uh, and Unity, for that matter, so amazing. You know, um, that's- well, I guess so. I and again, I don't want to, I don't want to like um, just recapitulate what's in my article, but like the the game now is post ATT. The game is owning mediation. That's the game. That's that's what this category is. It's mediation. The demand side is there, right, and it's stable, but the the way that you are able to gather the data you need to uh, target on the demand side is through the supply side now. It's having all the bid data from the supply side. And again, I don't want to get like into the technicalities of this, but it's in the article. So if anyone wants to read it, you can go to mobile.memo. But, but that's that's the game now. And so like I think everyone is sort of, um, they're converging around the new rules of the game. And I think what's what I think is really interesting about the market now is when you see this much consolidation, there's basically like, there's two big players and then in Bungle, which is not a, a public company, Bungle's a private company owned by Blackstone. There's three players now. There's three players in the space, right? And there used to be like seven, right? Not that long ago. So we're just seeing mass consolidation here. Um, you, you've got to start to think about what happens to margins, what happens to where do they compete next, right? And does that, you know, if you've got two behemoths going at each other, um, does that make the competition more intense? Or is it less intense than if there was like, you know, Apple and Mopa plus, you know, two sort of more independent companies? How does that affect uh, publisher economics? How does that affect the advertising market? I think now we're entering like a really interesting space where there's like three players, right? Two really big ones, Apple and, you know, Unity Source. <laughs> what happens now with the economics? That's, I think, the thing to keep an eye on. And like who, who blinks first? Right, because if you drop, if, here's 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 what happened when, um, and we, we've seen this before with the attribution space. But if you drop the, the publisher rake, or sorry, the ad network rake for publishers, then it's just a race to the bottom, right? And then you have to find another source of revenue. And I think that's the really interesting next shoe to drop because then I think my sense is the competition gets much more fierce with two really big behemoths going head to head trying to grab market share, and then you know. Do all of a sudden publishers make more money because they're just having to cut the rake? It's it, I don't know. That's that's what I'm really thinking about now. It's like what what are the what are the sort of knock on effects of this with respect to the publisher economics? And that could be really good. That could be a really good but thing. Wouldn't, but wouldn't wouldn't these two big players have more leverage, not less, if there's only the two players that exist? Yeah, you'd think so because but I think I think the opposite will actually be true here because they have to compete with each other more viciously than if there's like a norm that's set across like almost like a um like if you think about OPEC, right? 
it is like an OPEC kind of dynamic with like a couple countries. They all set the prices. They they it's you know they collude. That's not a bad word. They just do it. Um, it you know and 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 uh, and and they and they, they they don't have to compete against each other because there's sort of like a natural uh, settled price level that they all sort of agree on that benefits everybody the most. But if they have to start actually competing with each other because there's fewer of them and they and one wants to steal the entire market. Then, then they actually might start doing stuff like that. Or there's, there's a bunch of other stuff that could happen, um, where it, you know, I don't want to get into it, but like, it, just because in the weeds. But like, there's other things that they potentially could do um, that end up being like uh, trying to undercut, you know, the other party. So I think when you've only got two, two, two parties, but they're they're both trying to get 100% of the market, right? They're both trying to edge the other one totally out. Right. then I think you start seeing like even more cutthroat competition, which is kind of counterintuitive given that you need reduced number of players. You think the competition actually relaxes, but I think in this case you don't, because I think one of them wants to be the dominant one that owns a hundred percent of the market. The, the, the last question I have on this and the one I don't really understand as much as I should is that what, and I don't want you to go on to a long tangent on this. Maybe we'll do it another time, but what is Apple? Like how does Apple fit in with all this? Like, are they going to be competing with these guys directly going forward? Is that your assessment? Um, maybe they just posted a role for like a head of, you know, uh, advertiser. Uh, you know, I can't remember what the title was, but it was like an obviously like a very senior advertising role. I don't know. I think it's tough for them from a regulatory standpoint to to go like to blaze into the space. But maybe they could. They could make a display network that just and then that would be disastrous for these all these companies. I don't, yeah. but I don't think, I, don't, I think that it, it, would be, it would be, from a regulatory standpoint, it'd be difficult for them to do right now. But in a couple of years, yeah, for sure. Um, All right. Well, let's, let's move on. Um, I apologize if I offend. I uh, am just basing my assessment on, you know, my experience <laughs> with these type of things. I've been doing M&A my whole career. So let's, uh, let's move on to Tesla and games. No, I, I actually added something while we were talking. Oh, go ahead. Just a real brief. So, Phase Clan, everyone knows Phase oh, Clan. If you play, they're going public. They're going public. <laughs> so, if you thought SPACs were dead, boy, have I have news Dude. for you. They are not dead. Phase Clan is going public via $725 million SPAC. That's fantastic. I can't wait to see how this ends up. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Good luck with that. Oh, my God. This could only end badly. Good luck with that phase plan. All right, that's my update. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Laura. All right, so I uh, have two headlines uh, this week. So Tesla and games. Um, Elon Musk wants to turn the Tesla car into a gaming device and by integrating Steam, which is a gaming platform developed by Valve, um, into the car itself. Uh, for anyone that has been in a Tesla uh, or, or has or has been, you'll, you'll notice that there's a big computer screen that kind of is the, it's the main dashboard for the car. Right now, they have the, um, it operates most things like the accessories of the car. You can like move your, uh, rear, you can move your mirrors, you can play Spotify, it's also your navigation. And then I think what the, 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 the original novelty is that you could also watch Netflix on it. It's always had, at least the when I the ones I've, I'm familiar with. It's also it's always had an arcade mode, um, where I think there were a couple games to start. I believe there were there were 20 games, uh, including a racing game, which is apropos for uh, having it in a car. And then there were some bigger game, games like Cyberpunk, 
2077, uh, Fallout Shelter, Stardew Valley, among other heavier games like Witcher 3, but those are only those, those are only on the newer models because they, they don't the older models don't have the processing power. Um, games were these games. I mean, it sounds a little bit counterintuitive because if you're driving a car, it doesn't like how are you actually going to play the games? Um, and for at least in the model I was familiar with, you couldn't actually play them while in drive. Um, there was briefly Tesla allowed the games to be played uh, while in drive in terms of passenger play, but that was that was suspended as of December last year. I mean, I'm a bit biased. I I love the Tesla car. I thought it was fantastic to drive. Um, but the, I think what I find a bit strange is again, I think it's counterintuitive. I, I like the idea of the steam integration, but I mean, how obviously the driver, the driver can't play while they're driving. I mean, I hope they wouldn't, I don't know if they're thinking that while this, the, you know, the car is driving itself, then the driver's distracted by, by games, or they assume that the passenger is going to be playing. Um, I can't really picture in my head how this is going to work. Uh, I think it's, I don't know whether it's just kind of reaching to see, you know, what's happens in the future and we just want to have games and then how people will use it will be up to them. Um, but I, I was kind of brainstorming, well, how would this, if I was running, if let's say I was running that division, what I would, I would do. I'm unfortunately, I'm a mediocre driver at best and I heavily depend on the navigation. So I can't, I can't picture at all not being able to see where to go. <laughs> the the audio cues are not enough. <laughs> um, but if let's just say if it, it let's just I would I would I would be like, hey team, I think what could be interesting is if if the, there were sort of any sort of like gaming tablet that the passengers could play or some sort of it connects to your mobile device and would like it would integrate with that somehow. Then I think this could be actually really interesting. So you're I don't know if you're if you're going from London to Cornwall and you're like I have this six hour drive. I've loaded up all these Steam games. The driver is obviously hopefully doing their job and getting everyone there safely. But if they had some sort of like tablets held in the back where the rest of the car could be playing games, I think that actually could be quite cool. Yeah, this is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. I don't understand what the hell they're doing with this. This is <laughs> ridiculous. It's insane. I, I think it's a gimmick. I don't think they're actually going to launch this. It's just, yeah, it's, I, it's just stupid on its face. I don't, I, yeah, I, did, I just, I don't understand the use case. I totally get having screens and interactive entertainment in the back seats, right? For kids and for passengers. I just don't see what the use case is for a passenger in the front seat playing a game on the front screen, which is actually the screen that you need in order yeah. to actually drive exactly. right? and, and, and control. So it's like, you can't like remove the, the capabilities of the car because some guy wants to play Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. You know, it's like so. I think it's cool and kitschy and 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 interesting, but I I just don't really understand the consumer use case on this. But you know, I'm 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 old. Right? Uh, All right. This um, this might be one of those things where like the maybe they think it'll sell them more cars because there there does seem to be a trend where if something if there's a platform and they want to scale the platform. A lot of companies are like let's just make games. Let's put games in it. It'll be more interesting. Yeah. I mean, maybe who knows? This may, this may not happen. But I'd be very, I'd be curious to see. I, I would love to see the people that buy Teslas and use the Steam. What their actual use case for it is. Yeah. All right. Moving on. This is actually a big news that that came out recently that um, we've been talking about on the podcast a little bit. So uh, UK government. So go ahead on that one. So second headline, um, the UK government has decided video game loot boxes will not be regulated under betting laws, despite it finding a link between them and gambling harms. And 
that that sounds very uh, like an aggressive line, but uh, as I go through this, I think it'll add more context. The government wants to make sure effectively with this that children are not exposed to loot boxes um, and they mostly only target adults. They also want to make sure that uh, developers take sufficient measures to protect vulnerable adults, for example, by disclosing the odds of items in the boxes. The government was considering whether loot boxes should form part of its yet-to-be-released review of the Gambling Act of 2005, but it has decided against this. Um, and then I just had a quick Google of what the um, Gambling Act 2005 was, and it's um, it's basically it, it's making sure that it's preventing gambling from you know having any kind of ill effects on on society or to support crime. It's also making sure that gambling is conducted in a fair and open way. And it's, and it, as mentioned before, it's making sure that children and vulnerable person, persons are protected from being exploited by gambling. So that that's the act. Um, there's, there's a lot of strong proponents of both sides. Uh, there's people saying the government is not doing enough. And then there's people saying the government is overstepping. Um, and a little bit of just context of why why this is happening. The UK game sector contributed just under three billion to the UK economy in 2019, growing up from 400 million in, in 2010. So it's quite a it's quite a large it's quite a large amount of, of, of money. The call for evidence has, a, has found an association between loot boxes and harms, but we have not found out whether there is a causative link. So association, yes, causative, no. Um, or not yet, or not yet proven. Um, in their response, in response to their findings, it is their view that children and young people should not be able to purchase loot boxes without parental approval. Um, and then, in addition, they want to make sure that all spending, um, all players should have access to spending controls. Uh, in terms of next steps, the the government will work with uh, the industry, academics, third party partners to take forward these objectives, including. Uh, including through the establishment of a new technical working group uh, convened by the Digital Culture, Media, and Sport. We will, they will also launch a new video game research framework to develop better evidence on the impacts, positive and negative, of loot boxes um, and video games more broadly. Yeah, I, um, look, I've been covering this for a long time. It was a real concern for, obviously, FIFA and EA and, and the rest of Take-Two and NBA 2K, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this seems like a fair way of addressing this. I, I, after talking to gajillions of people about this, like no one was really clear as to what actually would happen. But the real consistent theme was that they really just want to protect kids. And that's kind of what they ended up doing was protecting kids by somehow mitigating the kids' access to loot boxes. And we'll see how that's enforced. But the real risk was to classify this as gambling and getting the regula regulations around gambling um, for this type of gaming that would have been a really onerous and challenging thing and potentially, you know, uh, trying to tax it in any way that they do with the gambling laws. So this is a huge win, right, for, for, for EA and others that do loot boxes. And, um, and I think uh, it's smart. I personally have a different view on this, but my view is irrelevant. Um, I, I, you know, I would I would like like loot boxes to be outlawed, but like. But the, I, I know that's not what people are thinking. Um, so, but I think this decision makes sense. I think you protect kids from these type of mechanics that 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 foster this kind of behavior and 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 leave it, leave it up to the adults. You know, um, so I think it's it's a good thing and a, and a positive thing for the industry as a whole, particularly for EA. Um, so there we go. So when I think of loot boxes, the first thing that comes to mind is those card packs. 
the ones that you buy and you get a random assortment of cards. So I think like Pokemon cards or magic cards. How do you just, I'm just curious. I, I, I am not, um, I'm trying to stay rather neutral on this, but what do you think of those then? I mean, they simply have no value. You can't, you can only, you can do about as much as you can with them in most, not all cases, but most cases, kind of with the loot boxes you get in various games. How do you think that, that this is different? It's not really. So you don't like I mean, those really either? Well, I mean, I've just seen the, the, the kids' behaviors and I know it's a focus group of one, but I, you know, obviously friends, these kids that I, you know, these boys that I hang out with are just like, you know, it, it, it's an addicting process, right? It's like the collection mechanic of, of getting like these rare cards is is a compelling uh, mechanism for children. And I think I don't I, I, I personally don't think it's it's healthy, but that's just me. Right. And and I and I um, and I and I know that these games are designed in a way to make it even more compelling. Right. So in, in an interactive sense, it could be even more um uh, uh, addictive in that way because you, you can design it that way and I know people do design it that way so yeah so no there is really no difference between the two in my opinion the only difference is that you maybe the immediacy of, of now nah, that's not even true though I mean as long as you can't sell it that that would be the ultimate right the minute you can actually sell these items immediately you know like it, the uh, the um, sorry what am I trying to say so if you get a pack of cards and, and you get like a really rare card that's worth like 20 bucks or 30 bucks or something, right? Like, you know, you've got a card that's worth $30, but you can't immediately sell it. I mean, it, there's, there's friction there, right? But in a digital context, when you can actually do it and then sell it immediately for real money, that's when it starts getting really, really scary, right? Because that is almost by definition gambling. And that, that's what the concern is, I think, out of a lot of people is that like that kind of mechanism will exist in the blockchain world as well as 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 gaming and and i i think that is more dangerous for kids um so there's a there's a little bit of distinction there but the fact that you can't sell it um you know in fifa madden and stuff um well you can sell it digitally but you can't get cash for it i think that kind of saves them in a way but it's kind of a long conversation and i'm not doing it any justice right now but uh but i i, I the mechanic itself just worries me a little bit in terms of how um you know, kids are kids are exposed to that stuff as young. So I'm glad they're trying to protect the kids. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm glad they're trying. To, I'm, I'm glad they're trying. They're trying to protect the kids and the vulnerable adults as well. Well, I don't know about a vulnerable adult. <laughs> well, you gotta look after them too. Part of the problem is that I know I have this type of addictive personality, right? And so I'm like hook, line, and sinker on this stuff. That's why I'm, I'm going to Vegas. I don't want to go to Vegas because I know if I get on the tables, like I'll never leave. And so, like, maybe it's just more of a a personal problem. All right, moving on. What What do you like to play, Eric? What do you like to play? Roulette. I just I just play blackjack because I I know the odds. I know how to play the book, and I just if I'm disciplined on the betting, I I generally do pretty well. But like, but it's it's a lose you know it's a lose lose type situation, and I'm very aware of that. But it's really fun, right? And it's really it's that dopamine just getting pumped into my system every time I win a win a hand. You know, get a blackjack. Dude, I, I think you don't know what, what lose-lose means. <laughs> it's, a, it's definitely not a lose-lose. <laughs> no, sorry, sorry. House, You're right. The house is going to win. I, that's what I'm saying. I know that I'm going to lose every time I go there, right? But it's still the fun of, 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 of trying. You're right. Um, I like I like roulette. Roulette's exciting. When you're playing roulette, that's exciting. Yeah, roulette's, that's the worst odds in the house, man. Like, I don't I know. know. I, it's like throwing away money. 
No, roulette's okay because it's it's only they have the one zero zero where so if you bet you're less than fifty on either side, black or red. But I'll just go in and bet on like on a color. It's fun, man. It's fun. People are like, screaming. They're excited. I know, I know. It's fun. See, man. That, yeah, see, that's the whole thing. Right? And craps. I wish I understood craps better because I, that that is really fun with you know dice roll and all that. Like that that's like a community. Yeah, but, that looks um, fun. I don't I don't know anything about it. I I just br- look from afar. And, uh, my and brother jealous. Uh, I don't want to do any of it. I don't want to do any of it. I, 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 I'm staying away from the casinos. We actually are <laughs> staying off the strip in some like, you know, Hilton, right? That has no casinos, right? I'm going You're going to need blinders. That's it. <laughs> Just blinders every time you leave your your hotel. Well, yeah, I'm no, drinking but- iced tea. <laughs> but but that's that's smart because the casinos have just been packed this summer. Have you heard about it? Like they had no. um, they're, they're over capacity and they don't have the staff. Like you can't get restaurant reservations anywhere, and um, they, they can't get cleaning. They, they don't have enough you know st- staff to clean the rooms. Um, and and there was an incident the other day at, at the MGM where like a plate uh, a plate glass uh, from like a restaurant or something broke. Right, it just shattered, and people thought it was gunfire. And they just started stampeding out. And then people heard about it on the strip. And like rumors spread that there was like shootings on the strip. And so there was like oh pandemonium. There's pandemonium across the whole strip because there was like one plate of glass that broke in the MGM. Yeah. And it's just like, and, and, and if you got on the strip, it's actually like you can't walk. It's just too many people. Right. And so like people are like trampling over each other trying to get away. It was nuts. It happened like two nights ago. Oh my God. What am I going to do? I'm gonna be hosed. I don't. I don't have a car. Oh my god! I, I messed up. This is gonna be a disaster. Just, just, just Uber. Just, just Uber. Just Uber. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I'm hoping that that Uber will be good. I just, um, I don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I think we're only ten minutes away from the venue, and and we're off the strip, so that might help. Wait, whatever. All right, we're digressing. Okay, moving on. Big good news, in my opinion. This is again my opinion, right? E3 is back. E3 is coming back in 2023. And they're getting help from uh, this PAX guy, right? So they're returning to Los Angeles next June, the first in-person event since 2019. It's organized again by the ESA, um, which, uh, and then the Repop, which actually the producers of PAX, which I, I don't know. But um, they say it's going to be epic. This is according to Kyle Kish, Mart, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, the guy from Repop, they're kind of, trying to fix what's broken and, and make it as big, bigger than ever type thing. Um, they tried a reboot in 2021, a digital only event, but that really did not go well. And they actually ended up canceling it. And the only real thing that's been happening in the summer is uh, Keeley's uh, Summer Game Fest, which by most measures has been a little bit like, you know, fallen flat, right? There hasn't been in much engagement. And, and, and again, what, what makes these events amazing is, is participation from the bigger bigger players, generally speaking, right? Like having big games, having Sony, Nintendo, Microsoft, EA, you know, all these guys bring out their best games and, and showcase them. It's kind of what makes uh, mo- most of these events, you know, memorable anyway. But, uh, and that's been been the challenge with, frankly, before, you know, the pandemic um, with E3 is that as EA has left, um, Sony, Sony didn't show up, et cetera, et cetera. So um, why I think this is important, um, this is more philosophical. I, 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 people have been talking about E3 for a long time. Like back in the day when, when E3 first started, it was basically showcasing interactive as a, a valid and important entertainment vehicle to a broader audience, to the New York Times, to the Wall Street Journal, to 
USA Today, right? It was, and, and then all the retailers, right? It was like basically a showcase to show that we are just as good as TV and movies and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And th th it worked to do that, right? And it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, and, but it was really, really important. But nowadays you could basically make an argument that you spend that money on, on a, you know, and buy an influencer on TikTok and you probably get more exposure for your game, right? Which I'm not denying that that's true. That could be true, right? But I would still argue that a marketing vehicle like this is a help celebrate interactive and also to show how far we've come from in the mainstream. So I think it's still important to showcase the, uh, the, the industry and the, uh, and, and, the, and, the, and the content that we're providing that's amazing, right? So, and I also think it's really important to bring the industry together in one event, you know, to not only celebrate the industry, but also really showcasing these absolutely amazing experiences that are being built in, in, in one, one, uh, one time, one time frame, you know? And, and I know the biggest complaint, obviously from the publisher perspective is it's real distraction for the team, right? To stop what they're doing, build a build for E3 um, and, 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 send like a gajillion people from the studio out there. And I understand that, right? But I still think it's awesome for the developers in some ways to show how much their work is being appreciated, right? And to do the demos and to be there in real time and do it. But, you know, I understand it is a distraction. But, you know, and for me though, of course, on a personal level, I absolutely love E3, right? It's an excuse to just get wasted and talk a lot of trash out there and to meet people. Um, wander around the hotels and run into old friends and, and frenemies. And, you know, I still think relationships are built upon these type of interactions, um, despite how outdated that may sound. Sure, it's exhausting and it's, it's annoying and it's stinky and it's, you know, hot and whatever, but I think it's worth it. And, and maybe I'm a boomer, but I really am looking forward to E3 2023 and getting everyone back, getting the band back together, you know? Um, so. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what it becomes. Now, to, sobering moment though, we'll see who shows up, right? It, certainly EA is likely not gonna be there, but we really need Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo there to make it a show. Um, but we'll, we'll see who, who's gonna sign up going forward. I have a feeling that Sony is gonna be the one that's gonna pull out, but, I, I, but we'll see. Anybody, any thoughts on E3? Are they doing a virtual component or, or is it just in person? It, it, I, I, they, they didn't really say specifically. I imagine it's going to be a combination. Um, um, again, part of the complaint about E3 was that it was more of a business and insider event than it was for a consumer event. And so EA pulled out because they wanted to build more of a consumer event. So the way they can make it more consumer friendly is increase access, right? And the only way, the ultimate way of increasing access is doing it digitally so that anybody can actually see certain events within the show. So I imagine it's going to be a combination of both. What I really need to understand is what PAX has done over the years to make it more of a consumer event, which I don't know because I, I don't really pay attention much to PAX, but to see what this guy is likely to, um, or that team is likely to uh, to build. So I was gonna actually comment yeah. that I, I I didn't realize that E3 was industry only. I also have never been. Um, I thought it was open to more open to the public because I was thinking, oh, why wouldn't they want to make demos to generate buzz for the game? But now I can see why because if it's just showing off to your competitors, it's it's probably less. Well, I'd be less motivated by that than I would be if I was yeah, like, I'm, hey, look at this great game we're building for everyone that may buy it. Right. I mean, originally it was not only event for to showcase uh, the entertainment interactive entertainment space, but it was a to showcase games to 
retailers, right? And we all know that retailers are almost irrelevant these days in, in, in the AAA world. Um, I mean, they're still like, what, 40 or 50% of the business, so that's not quite true. But they, they are far more, more better served than going out them directly, right? There aren't that many. Um, but, uh, uh, sorry. And so that was basically their complaint is that the, it's just E3 didn't evolve with the times. And so what they started to do is bring in, allow more of, of, uh, you know, non industry people into it, but it just wasn't enough. It wasn't really set up that way. That's why Gamescon has kind of survived in, in Europe is because that is, it's like, two, I think one or two days for business. And then the rest is for, you know, the, the, the the sneaky Germans, um, and, and it's like an absolutely <laughs> massive consumer show, you know, and, and it's awesome. And it's it just, it is a sight to behold, right? And 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 I think they want to, I think they're going to try to lean it towards that way, maybe. But but if you do a digital event, I think that kind of solves the problem too. But we'll see. We'll see what they do. But you've never been, huh, Laura? And Eric, you neither? No, I've been at Gamescom, never E3. I've never worked Holy in crap. console. I, I think Wow, I've been to like 15. I, I can't even remember how many. I've been to a lot of them. I think all of them except for one with because my son was born on June 4th. <laughs> well, they, do they give away any swag? Oh, God, yes. Okay, if they have yeah, any totally. Final Fantasy swag, please pick some up for me. Dude, I'll get you a sword. Perfect. Get you one of those massive swords the, the size sword. of... Yeah, yeah. Clint, done. <laughs> on it. I'm on it. I have a Gamescom, what, 2018, 17 story? I'll tell you both in private one day. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a weird experience. Okay, um, my article is Netflix Games nabs Xbox and Scopely live service execs in latest big name hiring round published on mobilegamer.biz. I'm going to quote from the article, James Burns announced that he joined Netflix last week. He's the new director of live gaming services and has moved over from Microsoft where he was director of in-game monetization at Xbox. Burns spent over 15 years at Microsoft in a variety of roles, including business planning for movies, TV, and later Xbox. Burns is joined by Jason Mueller, Netflix's new head of live service games. He joined last month having served as VP of strategy at Scopely for the last two years. Okay, this is, I think... A proof point that Netflix does not plan to um, to sort of pursue the strategy as they have done to date, right? The strategy to date has been buy premium games, put them behind the Netflix paywall, publish them as standalone apps. For some reason, that does not violate App Store guidelines, even though if anybody else tried to do that, <laughs> it almost certainly would. But regardless, um, that always seemed like a temporary strategy. I've talked about it on the podcast before. My sense was they would go full free-to-play. They would build games as a service. They would actually try to use games as a meaningful growth driver for the overall business and then apply all the tech they have to doing strategic cross-promotion, bringing new users into the Netflix universe. This seems like a natural evolution um, of where they're at now. Uh, they wouldn't hire these people if they were going to make these, you know, standalone single-player experiences uh, hidden behind the paywall. Um, anyway, th that this seems like they're moving in the direction that you know you'd assume they would, which is an actual games business versus you know some one-off single-player, uh, you know, short-term experiences, which you know makes sense. Uh, but happy to hear what you both think. My sense is. 
So the thing is, like, if you look at this in combination with what they're doing with Microsoft, I feel like there's some real synergies here, right? Like Microsoft obviously bringing ads to Xbox. They talked about that. Microsoft is powering the Netflix ads on the um, Netflix service. They're going to have the ad-supported tier. They had a big jump uh, in the stock price after earnings last night, after they, they announced that they, they only lost a million subs <laughs> last quarter. Um, you know, Netflix is struggling with retention. Uh, they're interested in the ad-supported tier. They're going to have, obviously, free-to-play games because they're bringing in these live services experts. My sense is all these things uh, contribute to an overarching strategy of, you know, free-to-play, live ops, advertising, growth, right? Like, all those things seem interrelated. Happy to open up the floor. What do you both think? First of all, Jason Mueller is a good friend. We work together at Kabam, so I know him pretty well. Um, I don't know this guy from Xbox, but... God, he was at 15 years at Xbox. Uh, and so I, I can't disagree with what you're saying, although that is not what I was told specifically <laughs> about what their strategy would be. Uh, because if they eliminate the ability to do microtransactions, which is basically they've actually said that, I think, in the press, um, that kind of eliminates their ability to make live services games with, with microtransactions. Or that makes... Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a little torn by this, right? Like, could they make a live service games that doesn't have microtransactions? Maybe, right? Sub sub driven. That seems because then you're limiting the player base, right? If it's all based on Netflix subs, and you're not using the games to drive further subs, because how could you? But uh, what I'm saying is that could they? Sorry, now I'm just I'm speaking up the cuff here. But like, could they basically do a Fortnite type game and give people currency every month? Create a live service games like a Fortnite game as an example, right? That doesn't that you don't pay any money. There's no microtransactions. You're just continually getting new content and getting getting new um, uh, seasons, you know. But there's no spending involved. But that keeps people engaged with the with the game. You know, is that possible? Maybe, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you, can, I don't know. I, I just can't imagine that they could really have live services games without microtransactions, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that, no, I, maybe that I, is the plan. I think it's impossible. I, or at least I think it's impossible if the games themselves aren't free without the Netflix sub, right? So, like, I could see that you could play the game and there's some basic level of gameplay. It's the, the freemium, freemium tier of gameplay, yeah. right? And then, you know, if you want to upgrade, then there's the Netflix sub. But I don't see that you could hide the games behind the Netflix paywall and have live ops. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense from a cost perspective, but I don't know if they care as much, right? On the cost side, they want, they want retention. Um, so maybe they could do it. I don't know. It seems pretty far fetched. Well, I think they want sub growth though, because they're losing subs, yeah. right? They have to have growth. It's not just retain. It's not just retaining the, yeah, maybe if they had zero churn, that would be fine, but I think they really need growth at this point to compete with Disney. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, you name it. There's 30, you know, streaming services now. They, they have way more competition than five years ago, right? And they have to yeah. grow. They can't just tread water. I mean, if I were them, I I would be trying a whole bunch of different things, and I would be I, I would be going bold. So yeah, I would try. They probably want to ramp up their current library that are that's through the paywall. I mean, I've played some of the games. They're, they're interesting, but they're not 
I wouldn't call them hits and I wouldn't call them knockouts. The, the current games they have that are, that you can download. Um, but I think it'd be, I think it'd be so interesting if they, if they did exactly what you said, Eric, and they, they took these games and yeah, it's kind of like a new model. You get to play to a certain point and the net Netflix subscribers get some sort of benefit if they sign up or they get, you know, discount on gold or whatever, whatever it is in their games. Um, and then that's, kind of a new a new way to pay i mean i have no idea if it'll work but i'd be very interested to, to see how it performs and it was standalone i mean i, I don't, again i have no idea if it's technically possible but i i would love to see the i mean it'd be something different for sure and then if, imagine if it worked then you would probably see the rest of the <laughs> subscription platforms being like ah this is great we have a way to uh, distribute beyond outside of the subscription so you can go search for the game download it and then potentially you get you give options maybe it's a combination of you 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 have your standard iaps you buy your gold bars you buy your coins for a certain price and you're a subscriber you either get you get it for free because you have a subscription or you get it discounted i think that could be interesting i i just have to sign the alarm bell here that like the devaluation of the devaluation of content just scares the bejesus out of me right between this like when you all get subscriptions in it's like Holy crap, you know, like give away Fortnite for free. Well, yeah. I'm thinking more, I'm thinking casual puzzle games. I'm not thinking, I'm not thinking Fortnite in this example. I think the economies in the, the puzzle games are much easier to balance. All right. Well, yeah, we'll see how it manifests itself. I'll definitely do my, uh, my diligence on this one um, and see, see what they're really, if they revise their thinking, because I got from a very good source that, that, that is, this is not the plan, right? The plan was not to do these type of live service models, but like, then again, like everyone knows key to retention is live services. You can't just throw out content and expect people to stick around, right? So there's, this is what we talked about the last time, there's a disconnect. So maybe they are evolving their thinking on it and, and trying to figure out ways of new models that might work. Um, but again, speculative, I'll, I'll find out more about it. Just a quick update here. So uh, unrelated. So Laura, if you have more thoughts on this topic, please go ahead. No, I'll wait till the next, when they start announcing more news and then I'll comment. Go ahead. FaZe Clan, uh, debut today, <laughs> obviously. Down 30%. No, really? <laughs> yeah. Dude, the market's on fire, dude. They're down 30? Oh my God. I know. Jesus. Everything's up today. <laughs> anyway, I mean, good luck to them. Sure. A clan should be a publicly traded company. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Is that it? Are we done? That's all, sure. all right. Let's hope. Yeah. Let's uh, let's hope uh, we get Ethan back to like you know talk about crypto and uh, and all this oh, stuff. But come uh, on, e Ethan. Ethan, come face the music, man. What are you doing? Come on. <laughs> you know so what I mean. Busy. Yeah, you're so busy. Give me a break. Look, it's it's there's up and down cycles, man. You got to come on the show. You got to. <laughs> You know what I mean? You gotta take, you gotta take your medicine here. Like, let's go. Come on. What are we doing here? You're hiding. I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna come to your house with a microphone. <laughs> oh my god. I. Yes, he'll be back. He'll be back. He'll be stronger than ever. Um, all right, guys. Well, have a good one. Stay out of trouble, and I'll let you know how Vegas goes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can't wait. <laughs> take care. <laughs> See ya.
Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.